the gift is the gift. Heraclitus, a Greek philosopher who lived in a place called Ephesus back in 500 BCE, is quoted as saying change is the only constant in life. It is believed that the thought was written in a book he wrote that was destroyed and exists only in fragments. Maybe it's appropriate, given the quote, that it comes to us in a fragment. I'm not sure. Given what has gone on in the last year and a half and the constant states of change that have visited us, the shaming and blaming, the judgments and questioning, I went in search of different ways people look at leadership. What follows are a couple of ways forward that I believe are not only worth consideration, but also exploration within our communities. Number one. It's called collective leadership. You might have heard of it. It is a group of people working together toward a shared goal, things that many of us have done, working toward a shared vision using our unique talents and skills. Collective leadership recognizes that lasting success is dependent on diverse perspectives and contributions, and it is a process. It is dependent on the relationships among the parts in the system, whether that system is two people or a classroom or a team, a board, an organization, or a community. There is shared responsibility and shared decision-making. There is accountability and authentic engagement. All members are involved in creating the vision and are committed to working to achieve that vision. And it requires trust, effective communication, accountability, and shared learning. It is based on the recognition that without the gifts, talents, perspectives, and efforts of many, sustainable change is difficult to achieve. Creativity is unleashed as people tap into their fullest abilities and capacities. Mary Parker Follett wrote about power that is with others rather than power that is over others. Rather than having leadership limited to one charismatic person or one powerful organization, leadership is shared among many. This approach to leadership is timely, I think, in that we face complex problems. In particular, knowledge workers are increasingly challenged to adapt to situations and problems that often emerge over time and do not have a clear course of action or solution. Many of the daily challenges that we do face are not simple and they don't have simple solutions. Traditional models of leadership highlight the skills and capabilities of an individual, but to effectively address the challenges we face now, we need to move beyond a focus on the individual and toward the collective. Parts of that come from an article in Nonprofit Quarterly in the winter of 2017 in an article called Advancing Critical Conversations, How to Get There from Here by Cassandra O'Neill and Monica Brinkerhoff. This is number two idea, and it's from George Manuel and Michael Poslin's engaging book, The Fourth World, An Indian Reality. He talks about leadership from an indigenous and European perspective. This is a quote. A community that has learned to survive through mutual support was not plagued with the worry that the other fellow might catch more fish or kill bigger moose than you. The slimmer your pickings, the more you hoped for the other man's good fortune. Our ideal leadership is closely related to developing to a fine art the life way of giving. Spiritual and material power has never been wholly separated in the Indian world as they seem to have been elsewhere. In many Indian societies, a leader may better be described as a person who gives well and who gives often. There is something basically democratic in the recognition of status through giving. 
Anyone of sufficient ability and generosity could achieve status that would almost rival that of any high office holder. The opportunity to develop the absolute power of a duke or baron simply did not exist. That is why it would be rare, even at the height of prosperity, to find an Indian chief who was wealthy in his own right, in European terms. Any man who's accumulated a great deal of wealth for himself has not been very good at giving, and would not be considered much of a leader. On the other hand, a leader who exhausted his material wealth, giving to his people and caring for them, would be invested with greater wealth by those people. It might be tempting to compare a good leader to a good financier, George says. His assets are all out on loan. The trouble with such a neat and tidy translation is that it is not very accurate. It leaves the impression that the Indian leader and the financier have a common goal. We do not measure a leader's wealth as a banker measures his by the loans he has outstanding. The gift is the gift. The leader's wealth is the status, prestige, and respect that he enjoys on account of how well he has given. And when Indian leaders are judged this way, they are not being measured by a different standard than dancers, than doctors, carvers, housewives, or fishermen in the same community. It comes from pages 40 and 45. There can be a resignation that there is little to nothing we can do about leadership, that what is, is. And as the disgruntled voter says, it doesn't matter who you vote for, the government gets in anyway. But thinking about old Heraclitus and his state of flux idea, and as we emerge from this time of constant change, there are definitely other ways to think about leadership. That it is not the responsibility of any one person, that it is the responsibility of us all. That through participation gifts come forward, we appreciate others, and perhaps we can focus, focus on what really matters rather than focusing on accumulation and the thought that it's every human being for themselves.